What's up, Bike Rumor fans? If you've ever wondered what it's like to start a cycling clothing brand, and not just any brand, but a really cool brand, you'll love this episode. My guest is Matt Kwan, founder of Ornot, and they just celebrated 10 years in business. We talk about how he kicked things off, what sparked the idea, and where the name came from. Admittedly, we talk a lot about the business side of things on this one, but even if you're not entrepreneurial minded, it's a good look at how things work and what some of the latest eco-friendly materials, labels, and terms mean. If you're into all that, give it a listen or not. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first off, congratulations on 10 years. That's a pretty big milestone. Uh, yeah. 10 years. It just kind of snuck up on us, on me. Yeah, I've, I remember when Bike Rumor hit the 10-year mark, and I was like, wow, really? You know, it's, uh, some days it felt like forever, and then some days it felt like, man, I, that was like yesterday we started. It's Yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's um, given me a chance to kind of look back. You know, I could have looked back at any point. It could have been eight years, five years, whatever. But for some reason, this 10-year mark has given me an opportunity to kind of dig back through old hard drives and just kind of look back at what we've done. Um, and, uh, and I'm still, I'm still kind of in the process of, uh, of just doing that in general, just looking back. Yeah. Is there something you've looked back like that really stands out? Like what's one of your, uh, prouder moments or bigger milestones? Well, I mean, still, I, the biggest milestone is just that this thing is still here. Um, <laughs> my, especially in this the, climate, right? Yeah. And just in general, my operating MO for the entire company for quite a while was just don't break it. I was like, this is like a cool thing. I don't really know how I did this or maybe I know how I did it, but I'm just like, I've got this thing and I like it and uh, I just don't want to break it. Um, so yeah, I think just the testament that this is still around uh, is is pretty cool. I'm proud of it. Had you ever run a business before? Like, is this your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Yeah, uh, yeah. Unless you count my paper route uh, <laughs> when I was thirteen, uh, you know for sure this is my first <laughs> business. Uh, before this, I was a graphic designer uh, and I was a freelancer. So I guess in a way, I kind of had my own business, but not not like this. So yeah, yeah this is the first time. Well, I want to ask how you got started, but uh, my first question is just where did the name come from? Because you. It's it's rather clever the way you use it, but you know, is there an origin story or or not? Yeah, no, uh, there is. Um, so the whole project, the whole company started as a side project from my graphic design career, and I knew it was going to be cycling related. I kind of thought it was going to be clothing, but I didn't know if the clothing was going to be it like the whole time, uh, and because I was a designer, this was like a branding exercise for me. And I was trying to come up with a good name. Uh, and since I knew it was going to be bike related, I kind of wanted there to be some hint uh, to something that has to do with bikes, like uh, chains or just something, some bike, something bikey. And all the names were terrible. They were <laughs> just that I just went around and around in circles with all of these different names. And either they were just cheesy or cliche or just I just didn't love them because I also had some other uh, constraints about the length of the word uh, what the word looked like itself um, so I was just really at a dead end and I was just typing random things on my computer screen and I typed in or not uh, it was a word that I, I used often uh, just in conversation and when I typed it I was like oh or not it's like this, I think that's it. And I kind of let it sit for a second and I felt pretty good about it. And I gave it some time, uh, but or not ended up being just the perfect, the perfect word for it. Even back then, because I wasn't sure if it was going to stay just clothing or if it might become a, like a media type thing or an art project that was still related to cycling. I just didn't really know where it was going to go. Uh, and or not was so open-ended um, that it just, yeah, it just, I got lucky. I, yeah. I think I got lucky. Yeah. yeah it didn't pigeonhole you into any one thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and for now, and now, you know, when I settled on it with the clothing, even it just made so much sense because I was racing bikes at the time. 
uh, and I had been for ever since I was a kid. But I was never into how structured bike racing was with training and just what you had to do. I just kind of liked racing my bike. It kind of takes the fun out of cycling. Yeah, yeah. Although the racing part was kind of fun for me. I was like, okay, well, I'm in a bike race and I'm doing the fun thing and it's a, it's a race. But yeah, the training, yeah. Uh, so, you know, this was, yeah, we could turn around or not. We could keep riding. We could go hard. We could you know, just all of this open-endedness was uh, perfect for me. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you guys did or that you did early on was sort of eschew the big, you know, gaudy logos and stuff, because I think, I mean, you can tell your story, but you know, the, the thing I've heard is you, your race team that you were on, the logos were huge on the Jersey and maybe not the most attractive kit. And so you went the complete opposite direction, which, you know, like almost no branding and super subdued designs, which seems like an odd thing for a graphic designer. Like you'd almost want to flex a little with your design skills, right? Um, ish. Um, <laughs> so as a, as a graphic designer, one of the, one of the favorite client requests is to make the logo bigger, or at least that's what that maybe that that's what the request was to me often. But I think it's, I think there's a thread, um, throughout graphic design when designers will, you know, present a couple of options and, uh, there is a common request that is, yeah, make the logo bigger, you know, the, the marketing person or the head of the company or whatever they're, you know, they're proud of their company, but they want to actually have that logo on there really big. And so this was a reaction. This was a direct reaction to clients asking for logos to be bigger. And it was also a direct reaction to, yeah, my cycling kit the, the, for the team that I raced on that had giant logos on it and most of the clothing that was available, um, for cycling, uh, a lot of it back then, you know, in 20, cause you know, when, when these ideas were kind of coming up, this was in like 2010, 2011, and, and even before that. And if you think about the clothing that you could get, that wasn't, um, you know, that wasn't like a team kit. Oh, like, like primal, had, right. And um, this isn't a knock against primal cause they've done really well and they have some cool stuff, but their designs are like, let's throw <laughs> everything we possibly can onto the Jersey and yeah. make it as colorful and crazy as yeah. possible. Or even a simple one like Castelli. Like if you bought a Castelli jersey or a Giordano jersey in 2010, it definitely had Castelli written just right across the chest. Uh, and you're inherently uh, advertising for them. It's like that's what it is. It's uh, it's you know furthering their you know their their advertising, your marketing for them. So yeah, this was you know a chance for me to to just make this minimally branded cycling clothing that. I wanted, like, I wanted to wear that. I wanted to wear clothing. And, and just to kind of, you know, further that a little bit, obviously Rafa was the first to do it. You know, they were the first to kind of tie, uh, design and cycling together. Uh, cause before that, just in general, uh, <laughs> cycling had been kind of this big Swiss cheese hole of, of, of no design. Um, so Rafa really. They were the first ones to kind of usher that in. Nice. What? Uh, all right. So yeah, origin story time. Like how, how'd you actually start or like what made you want to go with clothing? You said you were kind of bike bouncing around looking at different options. Well, clothing was definitely how this, that was the first project that this was going to be. It was definitely going to be clothing. So, um, because I wanted a, an alternate to my, in my racing kit that had, you know, logos all over it. So, uh, it was definitely going to be clothing. Um, but I also wanted to make the clothing here in the U.S., uh, which was just a giant research project uh, in figuring out how to make that happen. Um, and uh, really, this <laughs> the whole company is a research project, and it has been for years. Uh, but that was the first one. Like, how do I make this stuff here in the U.S.? And I was able to figure that out. Did you immediately definitely want to make it yourself? Because I know like there's there's some brands that have kind of built the brand while letting others just contract manufacture or, or like, you know, like for instance, uh, when it was still in business, handlebar, handlebar mustache socks were just defeat socks, but they were handlebars designs. Right. So it's right. You could find yeah. somebody to make your stuff, your design on their stuff. And then you just kind of sell it as your brand. Yeah. And that's how we started. I mean, we did, we did start that way and that's, that's how I would say everyone should start, uh, because it was a low risk way relatively to get into it. Um, but soon thereafter starting it like that, 
um, I wanted to change things up. I wanted to have more control over the fabric we used and I wanted to have, you know, changes in the pattern. Um, and you know, that's when we got into kind of owning the design process. How long did that take from, from that first, you know, the first product to starting to manufacture your own things? Yeah. I mean, and just to be, just to be clear, we're still like, we don't own a manufacturing facility. We still use contract, uh, manufacturing as I mean, I would say 90, I think almost everyone yeah. uses contract manufacturing. So just, just to kind of like be clear about that. Um, and I think use, Kispo showed how hard it is to do it when oh, you bring all that in house, right? Like that's a bunch right. of overhead. Oh, exactly. Yeah. The Kitspo thing was, that was so sad to yeah. see because they were trying to do something really cool and Kitspo itself was a cool brand and man, they just bit off uh, like a, a lot in, <laughs> they just bit off just a lot of different bites. Yeah. Sorry. Back to, um, yeah, it took a couple of years to be able to own the design process from, you know, pattern to fabrics, uh, to trims, um, and there were still some things that we couldn't customize as much as we wanted to. And well, now we customize everything. Yeah. Right on. What were the first pieces? Just like basic bib and Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Bib shorts, bike Jersey. And I think I did a vest also because San Francisco, it's always freezing here. Um, so <laughs> vests, like we have a vest problem here. <laughs> Puffy vests all the vests. <laughs> yeah. You guys do have a couple of vests for sure in the line still. Oh yeah. We've got more coming. We've got, like I said, a vest <laughs> problem. That's funny. So what was, what was next? Like, what was the progression? Cause now you have jackets, you've got kind of, I, I just call it casual wear, but like commuter type stuff, off bike stuff. Yeah. So we did the stretchy bike clothing for a number of years and we kind of built out the you know, the offerings from like summer clothing and then different colorways. And, uh, you know, then we got into shoulder seasons and winter clothing, but, uh, the casual, the, you could wear it on your bike or not clothing, uh, was something that I had wanted to do just a few years into the project. So I think around 2015 or 2016, I started to really dream about making this casual line. However, it required just kind of learning how to do it, it required learning how to do it. Uh, we knew how to make the stretchy bike clothing, but the casual stuff required different fabrics from different mills. It required a different pattern maker. It required different sewing facilities. Um, and because we were making it all here in the U.S., well, sorry, let me take a step back. Because we were making making it here in the U.S., that's why it required essentially relearning the process again. If this, if we had been, you know, uh, producing, um, you know, overseas, most of those sewing facilities, uh, have the ability to do whatever you want. Uh, and they make it, they make it pretty easy, uh, to, to do whatever you want. So the fact that we were making things here in the U S meant we had to kind of rework it all and, uh, and, and start over. Yeah. How big of a, like geographically, like do you have mills all over or is it kind of all sort of concentrated up in your area? Uh, so for the fabric mills, uh, we use, uh, there's a couple uh, that we use uh, in Italy. Obviously, they make a lot of uh, knits in Italy that we use for everything. Uh, and there's some in Asia uh, where we get the fabric milled. Uh, and then there's some still mill here in the US. Uh, and then obviously there's the dead stock fabric that we use that uh, is housed here in the U.S., uh, but has been made, uh, you know, either in Asia or here or maybe in in, uh, in Europe as well. Uh, so the fabric mills are kind of all over. And the things that we, uh, the, the thing that we do is we produce a lot of our clothing here in the U.S. And when I say produce, I guess I mean cut and sew. Like the, the, the fabric is turned into the actual, you know, piece of clothing. Uh, and it's either mostly here in California. Uh, and then we do, uh, a lot of bib shorts in Italy as well. Hmm. Is that just cause the skill sets not here for making bib shorts or. Yeah, they're pretty good at making bib shorts in Italy. Uh, and all everything that you put into bib shorts is also made in 
either it's made in Italy or it's made very close to Italy. Right. Uh, so the, the fabric, the grippers, the, the, the straps, the, the pads, the trim, I mean, just everything is made right there. So it just made more sense to, um, uh, make the bib shorts there as well. Yeah. Cause I think one of the sales pitches you guys make is the eco cred of kind of like bringing it as close to home as possible, but I guess it doesn't make sense to ship all that stuff over here and then try and put it together when it could just be done super fast there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that, that was kind of the thought and the sewing facilities that we use in Italy, um, you know, are powered by solar on the roof. Like they're kind of, they're kind of on the program as well. Um, so we definitely take a look at, it's kind of a holistic, you know, approach to, to, to making clothing. Yeah. This is kind of a random question, but you know, like when you, your bib shorts have different, the different panels are different fabrics, different materials or textures, all kinds of stuff throughout. Like, is it, how hard is it to get the dye to match? You know, if you're doing like gray, right? How hard is it to get the gray the same on all of those different panels? Oh yeah, it's hard. It could well. So yeah, when you're dyeing fabrics, you get these. You give them a either a, a sample, a physical sample, or you give them a Pantone number, and they try to match it. But yeah, things don't always match up. Um, so it can be hard, especially when you mix dyed fabric with like a sublimated, uh, which is essentially just printed on a piece of paper. And then that paper has the ink on it that's then transferred to the white fabric. So there's a lot of room for color shifting. Uh, and it it definitely happens. I'm glad you said it that way, because I thought sublimated, they were actually printing on the material itself, but it's paper first and then like almost like iron transfer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Iron on, iron on jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it when you think about it, it is kind of a it's a pretty simple process. You print it on the piece of paper, and then you put the paper on the fabric, and you run it through a roller, and the heat transfers the ink from the paper to the fabric. Huh? Can you not just do like I mean, like an inkjet printer, like just print directly onto the fabric itself, or is it better to do it that way? You know, for giant, you know, for overall prints, I'm not sure. You know, it's just not, it's just not how it's done. It's always sublimated. I know you can get like a t-shirt with a digital print on it. Um, I'm guessing it has to do with the printer and the size because when you're printing fabric, well, I guess there's a couple different ways to sublimate fabric. Sometimes you're doing it by the roll and you're doing these large, you would need a really large printer, uh, but sometimes you're just doing panels, uh, but still those panels are big. I don't know the answer to that <laughs> one. Uh, someone, someone with more experience in actual printing <laughs> printing and sublimation probably no but there's definitely an answer and it's probably no yeah i mean it's kind of a in the weeds question more for personal yeah. curiosity is uh so like in your opinion where do you rank where does or not rank in terms of like size right and you know like you can name whatever brands you want to sort of put into perspective but i kind of in, in my perspective, I would say like the like the Castellis are huge, right? You know, yeah. Rafa's big. And then there's, I don't even know, like super boutique ones. Somebody started in their garage, which kind of what you did, I guess. Right, but yeah. so like, where are you now in that hierarchy of clothing, cycling clothing brands? We're still pretty small. I don't know where we slot in. Um, you know, our entire office. So we all go to work. We all work in the same office and the office is right above our store here in San Francisco. And there's about seven of us total, um, that do everything from, you know, the managing production to the marketing, to the, um, to running the store, um, <laughs> to the customer service. Um, so there's still, there's seven of us that run the entire company. So we're still on the smaller side of of companies in general small businesses right uh, i want to at the end i want to ask you like what what the plan is you know where do you see that going but in the meantime so for you guys were the first i think to use polar Tech's neo shell fabric right with the magic shell jacket yeah yeah which is incredible but so like how do you because that that fabric itself is a big deal it was a big deal right. for polar tech yeah. and still is yeah like, how does a small brand like Ornot get first dibs on something like that? Yeah, so that was actually, I, I wonder that myself uh, <laughs> sometimes too. Um, and there's, I, I think the answer is that, oh, and I'm blanking on his name. There's uh, the guy who ran Polar Tech. Uh, he was the CEO of Polar Tech. 
also happened to be the CEO of Gary, Independent Fabrications. I'm space, yeah. Smith. Gary, Gary Smith. Smith, yeah. Huge cyclist. Yeah. 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 So, and also a really interesting guy. Somehow we got on their radar. We were making casual clothing with some uh, Polar Tech fabrics. So we already had like, and we already had an in with Polar Tech. Um, and they came to visit us in San Francisco. I think that they were probably visiting some other brands here <laughs> as well. Um, and we told them what we wanted. We wanted to make a breathable, well, we wanted a couple of things. We wanted to make a thermal jersey with some of their fabric. Um, and then we also wanted to make a breathable rain jacket. And they gave us some fabric to test. So when these people come to visit you, they, they come with these roller bags, um, like you're traveling to Europe type of roller bag. And it's just full of these squares of fabric called headers. And it's overwhelming when they open the, up this suitcase <laughs> and they start pulling this fabric out. And there's these little squares and they're like, here, touch this one, touch this one. And about, you know, 10 or 15 fabric squares into it, you're kind of overwhelmed. But one of the fabrics that they had was this new version of Polar Tech Neo Shell. And we were like, wow, well, that seems cool. Um, yeah, please send us some, uh, some sample yardage so we can make a jacket out of this and see how it goes. And we had also ordered a few other, some other yardage of like thermal, like some, there was some power wool. So things for a Merino Jersey and then one other fabric. So we made these all into jackets slash jerseys and rode in them. And when we got the jacket sewn up with the neo shell i wrote in it and i was like yeah but this isn't the waterproof one right this is just the uh this is like a soft shell just like a jersey fabric or something and they were like no that's that's you know that's the waterproof one i was like i don't i don't think so <laughs> um and yeah that fabric was great it was just so because that doesn't rain in california and, so how are you going to test that <laughs> yeah it doesn't rain yeah we didn't test it yeah we was um no it did rain it hailed on a, on me up on mount tam like the second week that i was wearing it and um and yeah i got rained on and you know it, it rained on me a lot so i definitely got wet down the neck um and you get wet a little bit on the inside but at the same time it was still breathable and it dried out as I was riding home. So it had this ability to kind of like stretch and wick and breathe. And, um, yeah, that fabric is cool. Yeah. So basically Gary liked you and said, yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. How did, how did we get that? Yeah. I think Gary did us a solid. He did us a favor and he was like, Gary, the other thing is I, I kind of feel like they polar tech was, uh, they had just made the fabric and we were able to get uh, fabric in black because it was already made. So we didn't need to do a custom color. And because we were able to cut and sew it quickly and build it into our sort of project pipeline, if you, if we even had one, um, we were able to turn it around quickly. Whereas like the bigger brands, they had to, they already had rain jackets and they already had stuff that they, they plan things, you know, 18 months out in advance. Whereas we were like, okay, yeah, we, we want to make this. We're going to buy this fabric, you know, send us, you know, we're going to buy 700 yards. Let's make this. And we just did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that because so many clothing brands and, and bike shoe brands too, they, they are so far ahead in that cycle where it's like August and they're like, Hey, do you want to test our new winter stuff for you know this winter? Like I sure, but not for six months. You know, but then they need the coverage ahead of time. And that's, uh, it's tricky from the media standpoint to test that stuff as far as yes. early as they would like to send it to you. Yeah. So when you ask us about how big we are, um, I think that uh, how, how far we plan ahead probably still plays into how big we are because man, we are still, uh, just, uh, hand to mouth. I don't know if that's the right, the right analogy, but yeah, we're finishing stuff right now for winter. Um, like it gets finished and we shoot it and it, it we turn it around. So, yeah. yeah. Do you, um, like, I know there's a couple of boutique brands that have a similar kind of like, I don't know, high fashion is not the right word, but you know, you guys have some, some cool factor and a yeah. lot of them, you know, it seems like as soon as they announce something, all the, the most popular sizes are instantly gone. Is that, do you run into that as well? Or 
Uh, some, I mean, it's your, your mileage may vary. It kind of depends on what the product is and, uh, and how it's made and how much fabric we were able to get. Some of our pieces are limited because we make it with this dead stock fabric. So we buy, you know, 180 or 250 yards of this fabric and we make one run of clothing and that's it. Like it came and went and we don't have access to get any more uh, quickly at least. Um, so in general, we know we, uh, we don't sell out. I don't want to, this is the idea isn't to become a Supreme, uh, and you know, <laughs> you mean you don't these... want lines around the block for a, a t-shirt? Well, I guess, I guess that part, <laughs> that part I could live with, but, but it's also kind of annoying, uh, yeah. and not, not what I'm trying to do here. So in general, we try to release products and have them, um, will they be around forever? Uh, or will, will they be, you know, available always? Uh, no, it's just keeping up with production can be kind of hard. Yeah. How long did it take you to sort of figure out like which, how many to make of each size or color or whatever? Because that's got to oh. be tough if you stuck with a whole bunch of smalls of some random color that nobody wants. I, so this is where we kind of work in a bubble. Like, I don't know. We don't, we don't have any other you know, friends who are, you know, in, in the same area, I think everyone's still figuring it out. We're, we still, we're still kind of changing our sizing curve every six months. Any, anytime we sell something, we always look back and try to figure out if we ordered correctly, if we misordered and, and we kind of try to learn from that. Um, it's tough. Yeah. Um, I've got a few questions off some of the like eco credentials and things that you not just you use but a lot of brands are using nowadays but i'm sure start with dead stock because like i'm pretty sure i know what it is but just maybe yeah. make sure like what is dead stock dead stock is fabric that was made for some reason you know whether it was made for brands to sample with like i was just talking about with that polar tech neo shell or if it was made and perhaps the dye the color wasn't right and the client was big enough to say, sorry, we're not taking it. Like this color isn't correct. Or it was made for who knows what reason. I don't know why. Uh, but it it ends up being extra. So there's this extra fabric that's sitting around that doesn't have a buyer where it wasn't, you know, it, it, it's just extra. And it, yeah, I guess it doesn't have a buyer. Uh, and it'll get sold to uh, a place that resells fabric. And that's dead stock fabric. Gotcha. So can you work yeah. directly with the manufacturer too sometimes, or does it have to go through that reseller? Uh, it's always through a reseller, at least for us. It right. is. Um, yeah. I think if, I don't know, if you buy it directly from the manufacturer, then like it's, it's not really, it's like kind of ordering fabric yeah. um, or just, yeah, buying, buying fabric. Yeah. I was just wondering, you might be able to get a better deal, right? Like if, instead of the reseller market. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Um, so you guys say you're now with the PFAS free DWR coatings on all your stuff. Um, what are you using? Because I, you know, and the reason I'm asking is like, you know, like there's a whole thing with BPA in the can linings, you know, soda cans, whatever. And so a lot of, a lot of health foods are now with BPA free. They're still lining it with something, BPC or BPAC or something. That's right. very similar. And, you know, like there was just something in the news recently about like some of the forever chemical replacements are also forever chemicals. It's just, yeah. yeah so we're, we're switching this stuff up, but like, what are you using and like, how do you know it's safe? Yeah. So the, I think the important part to kind of look at is the carbon chain, uh, that the, that the DWR is being made from. So the, like the old ones, uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago used to be a C and I don't know, someone probably knows this better than me, but it was either a C 10 or 12 or 16 chain. And it's a carbon. They're talking about how long the carbon chain is in the chemical that they're using to use to repel water, essentially like the Teflon. Um, and so they used to be these really long chain carbon structures that they use to make things be water repellent. And they were really good at being water repellent because um, they were really long carbon chain. Um, and then, oh, I don't know, some years ago, they kind of knocked it down to a C6. So the carbon chain was six 
I'm not a chemist, six (laughs) carbons long. Um, And the current uh, PFAS-free DWR that we use uh, is a C0. So the carbon chain is zero. It's a really short uh, carbon chain. Um, And that's what allows it to break down as far as 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 I understand. And that's what makes it not one of those, you know, crazy uh, Teflon-y PFAS forever you know, it's in all of us, uh, type of, uh, chemical. Yeah. Is it, um, I mean, C zero, like to me, it would sound like there's no carbon in it, but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, is yeah. there like, so what replaces the carbon? I don't know the exact, I don't know the exact, uh, science behind what's in the DWR, um, that, um, that is, that is that C zero carbon or C zero DWR. However, I can be very honest about the, the performance of the C0 DWR and it's just not as good, you know, as those, as that DWR from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, it's just, it's just the the give and take. It's like, you gotta, you know, in order to not create these crazy chemicals, um, you know, the DWR just isn't as crazy good as it used to be. Yeah, I remember, um, and I don't think they make it anymore. I could be wrong on that, but like the Gore Shake Dry stuff, where it was just literally just the membrane, which was crazy good, you know. And water didn't, you didn't need like a, a coating because it was just the water wouldn't go through the membrane, it would just shake off, hence the name Shake Dry. Is that like, have you guys looked at doing something like that with the Neo Shell or creating like an ultralight that's literally just the membrane? No uh you know gore i think they were the only ones to do that uh, to put that membrane on the outside and i'm pretty sure that the carbon chain that they used on it was one of the legacy ones um and i kind of feel like it's a thing of the past so do you still so even with the membrane like with neo shell right like because you have a fabric over the top of that yes um and then you put the dwr on that outer fabric but like so the membrane itself would it not just kind of like repel water yeah, but th- that membrane itself is is so delicate um, that uh, it, it just you could you couldn't put it on the outside. So you kind of need that barrier. You have to have yeah the yeah the neo shell is a three layer. Uh, there's a outside uh, and then that membrane and then um, and then the interior. Gotcha. Okay, so what does Blue Sign approved and I'm gonna just guess on the pronunciation Eco Tech, but O E K O Techs. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're just different ways to certify that, um, uh, fabric is made in a, in a certain way that, you know, that, um, you know, the, the, the pollution from the, uh, fabric mills, uh, you know, is up to a certain standard. Um, yeah, they're, they're standards. All right. On. So it's just saying that the fabric or the materials you're getting are produced yeah. in an environmentally what sustainable way or friendly way? Yeah, that that the, there are standards around the fabric that's being made because you can get a whole lot of stuff with nothing. Like especially when you're talking about you know sourcing things around the world. Right. So yeah, having those having those standards are I think they're they're good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the lack of standards is how you get the three for ten dollar t shirts at the. The beach gift shop, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. Last one is the climate neutral certified. What is what does that mean to you guys? Like, what are you doing for that? Yeah. So the climate neutral certification um, is pretty cool. It's it's quite in. I mean, it's involved uh, to to an extent. Um, every year, we have to go through and sort of qualify all of our production and spending and we essentially use a tool that climate neutral, this certification company uh, has developed to help estimate the total footprint of our business. Uh, And then once we've estimated that footprint, um, we need to uh, make a plan to reduce it. Um, And then at the same time, we pay for carbon credits to offset uh, the entire carbon footprint of the operating carbon f- for that year. Uh, and the offsets are, people talk about offsets a lot, and there's kind of like a hot topic. Um, and, you know, I'm not an offset 
expert. Um, however, when I, I go in and purchase the offsets um, at the end of the year, um, there are some cool projects because some people think that they're just like planting trees. And some of them are, I guess. <laughs> yeah, some of them are. Some of them are just like reforestation and like, okay, yeah, great. I mean, planting trees is good. Um, but other ones help subsidize um, sustainable infrastructure, like uh, building wind turbines uh, and capturing methane from um, landfills. Um, and these are projects that would be expensive uh, to build on their own. But with the help of the carbon offset offsets, uh, they're essentially funding these projects that will help, you know, create this carbon-free energy for the future. So it's kind of like this building this infrastructure, which I think is kind of cool. Nice. At, at risk of this turning into a more of a business <laughs> entrepreneurship podcast, these are just like yeah. the questions I have, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys are based in Bay Area, San Francisco, like literally one of the most expensive cities in the US, if not the world. Like how, because I mean, all I'm hearing right now is doom and gloom from the bike industry. Like how in the world can you afford to not just be there yourself, but also like employ people there? Yeah, so uh, pretty much everything that we do in the company is like zigging when other people zag or zagging when other people zig. It's like uh, I... The, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, running a company is, is hard. Um, and I think just the fact that it was started here and we all live here, we just kind of make it happen. Uh, you know how I said, we only have seven employees. Um, I mean, part of that is, you know, we have a pretty lean team for, uh, for the amount of, of work that we do. We all work pretty hard. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it would be, it, it would be, there are ways that we could cut costs, you know, in, in certain ways by not living in San Francisco. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, San Francisco comes with, um, you know, it comes with assets. Uh, it comes with the ability to, you know, ride bikes year round, uh, which means that we can actually create, you know, assets like shooting photography. Uh, it also comes with um, a pretty vibrant cycling community, and you know we're a small business, so the uh, the local cycling community uh, has been nice to us, and you know there's a lot of support around us here uh, in San Francisco and the Bay Area. Um, so it's a little bit of give and take. Yeah, it's San, San Francisco is definitely expensive, uh, but it comes with it does come with like some 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 benefits i they do not outweigh the uh <laughs> the, the the cost of living and doing business here yeah is it i think though there is like a garment district and a cut and sew kind of yeah you yeah, know so infrastructure I mean, there right so you have that pretty local yeah definitely i mean yesterday um you know one of the guys got in our van and drove over to the sewing facility and picked up a bunch of clothing that had just finished um and so having that locally is great. Um, you know, it means that we're able to actually go and visit the people that make our clothing. It means that we're able to get our samples quicker sometimes. Uh, and it means that we're able to also refine them by actually taking the piece of clothing to the person who's making it and saying, hey, this needs to change, you know, uh, in real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's key. I mean, it talked about like being able to take advantage of that polar tech fabric quicker than anyone else. And that's probably why, you know, to a yeah, larger extent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, I usually lately have been asking everybody at the beginning of the episode to just kind of start off with a story and I'm hoping maybe you have a story to share. I'm, I know I'm just kind of throwing that at you without any heads up. Um, and then I do want to talk about like where you see this company going, but surely there must be like what story from your, your 10 year journey stands out in your mind oh story time um wow there's probably a lot of stories i hope so i know it's just like i don't even know where i where i want to go you know maybe one of the like one story that i think is i think is interesting at least was the transition from running it out of my house to moving into a office um and i think this story. Well, I don't know if it's a good story, but it is interesting because, 
not only were we moving, you know, just our office where three people worked, uh, but it meant that we had to move all of our inventory to a 3PL, which is a warehouse that like ships things out for you. Because up until then, we had been shipping things out, um, just the three of us, like someone would just go pack orders and ship them out every day. So why did why did you, I'll say upgrade, I'm using air quotes, uh, upgrade to a 3PL, which is, for people who don't know, third-party logistics. So it just yeah. means they're handling logistics for you. Well, because we were moving out of my house, which meant that we were going to be moving into a much smaller office that uh, wouldn't have the space to actually. <laughs> so this is, back, this is back to San Francisco things. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't because so, you were like, all of a sudden you couldn't handle the 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 volume at yourselves. It was just, you didn't have anywhere no. to put it. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have anywhere to put it and we knew we wouldn't have anywhere to put it. It was like, Oh no, we had all this free space and not only are we going to have to pay for rent now, but we need to find a warehouse, um, that will ship stuff out for us. And we were still pretty small. So there was an order threshold that you needed per month to get into a lot of these warehouses. And I remember kind of cherry picking like some numbers and some dates to kind of try and prove that yeah we kind of have order volume to justify moving or to justify to them to take us on as clients. And uh, luckily they did. Uh, and we, we moved into that 3PL and we were able to make everything work. But it was it was pretty stressful to, you know, move our inventory along with setting up all the tech stuff on the back end to make that work, uh, find a new office space and pay for it all at the same time, along with doing our photo shoots and, you know, making clothing and, and just, you know, running the business. Um, there have been a lot of, there have been a lot of instances like that in, in the past 10 years where, oh, we're thrown this curveball and we need to deal with it. Uh, it's often moving, <laughs> it's often moving our whole operation in some way. Uh, but we need to be able to, you know, uh, walk and chew gum and, uh, run a business at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's just part of the journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where, <laughs> it's, it's fun. where do you see or not in another 10 years? In another 10 years? Um, well, I'd like to think that we're still around. Um, and I'd like to think that we're a little bit bigger. Um, I don't have a grand, a grand plan to dominate the world, uh, with, uh, you know, with or not phrases everywhere and, you know, clothing for tennis and, and everything else. Uh, I think we can still stay pretty, uh, pretty focused on, on what we do. Um, however, I think that there's still a lot of room for us to grow in a, in a, in a good way and to refine our products even more. I think we've got, yeah, we've got, it's just, it's fun. We, you know, we're constantly, we go to work and we come up with a random idea and, you know, six months later, sometimes that idea will be a new product. Sometimes it's a year. Um, yeah. but you know, we, we get to kind of like, we get to have fun. It's like playing in a sandbox. Yeah. That's cool. Do you feel like the, cause I, I look at a lot of cycling brands in a lot of categories and yeah. they sell well, they must anyway, because they're still in business. Sell just an inordinate amount of X, right? Whatever X is. And I just sit there and think, I like, are people really either like wearing this part out or wearing this jersey out? Like, how do you sell so many blank to stay in business? And so part of my question is like, I mean, is there, there must be some limit of how many jerseys and bib shorts you could sell, right? Yeah, but I, I, I think so. Like, do you, do you think you're anywhere close to reaching that? Or do, is it still like the sky's yeah. the limit? I mean, I don't know. No, we're not there. There's still people in San Francisco that uh, live less than a mile from our office who've never heard of us. So there's 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 plenty of there's plenty of room for 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 growth in someone buying a bike jersey. But I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, sometimes. I get a little bit in the, uh, in the entrepreneurial world and, you know, <laughs> I'll read about, you know, these other e-commerce businesses and I'm just, they have the most random product. I don't even know what it is. It's just, you know, they want this one thing and they make this one thing and they sell so many of them. And I have, um, 
I'm always flabbergasted <laughs> to, yeah. to, to realize that they sell that many of product X. Uh, yeah. I'm just like, wow, that's bonkers. Yeah. And especially if they're probably not even the only one making that, right? There's probably, they probably have five or 10 competitors making and selling, yeah. you know, yeah. thousands, tens, millions, whatever. Um, yeah. so the, the answer to your question kind of leads to another question then is like, you have people who are cyclists living close to you who have never heard of or not. So they're a potential customer for or not, but then does that mean they're, they stop becoming a potential customer for somebody else? Because I mean, I know the global population is growing, but do you, do you find that it's sort of like, a you know, your growth comes at the expense of one of your competitors? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, because you know, there's, just think about uh, clothing that you wear every day. It's like you don't, you probably don't wear like all Levi's top to bottom, you know, like <laughs> Levi's socks and a Levi's shirt and a Levi's pants and Levi's <laughs> underwear. And um, so I, there's just like room to, to just mix and match. And, you know, maybe someone picks out this from us and then they pick out, you know, something else from, you know, the other brand. And, um, you know, it's cool to kind of, to just, just, kind of mix it up yeah i know uh and you know i think everybody knows right now it's a it's a great time to be in the market for a new bike because (laughs) there's such a glut of inventory that you know brands that have never discounted are discounting is that um i haven't seen it quite as much for like components and then i haven't noticed it at all for clothing other than the brands that like always have I, I call it like a fake price. And then there's like the discount <laughs> price. It's like 70% off this week only. And the next week it's 72%. Off, you know, I feel like you guys are stable with your pricing, which is good. But like, do you, is the clothing, cycling clothing industry having any of the same issues that like the actual bikes are having? I, so I don't know for sure, but I kind of think that maybe a little bit, some people are. Um, because I don't know, we probably pay a little bit closer attention to it than you do, but yeah, there are definitely are some brands that have had more sales than they used to, or things are always on sale right now. Um, and, and, and they're like the big, like the big guys, I guess they're, they're order volume. Like they're probably ordering, if you're ordering 50 pieces, they're probably ordering 5,000. Right. Yeah. 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 So just the order of magnitude is, yeah, is, is bigger for them and, and getting stuck holding the bag is, is a higher likelihood, I think, yeah, for them, especially, you know, if they also do some amount of wholesale, you know, because then some, maybe some of those orders can get canceled and they get stuck holding the bag or maybe it gets sold to a third party place. And I don't know, there's, there's a lot of scenarios I think where, yeah, I, I don't think it's as bad as bikes. But I think it's probably happening at some point, or t- t- to some extent. Yeah. Really, bikes are on sale. I want to get. I need a. Oh my gosh. I need a. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's on sale. Everything must go. <laughs> oh, I might need to. I might need to take a little peek after this. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you're need, just, yeah. Sorry. You're going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> oh yeah, I I can't say no to a bike, and I've got way too many. Yeah. I'll find room for it. Um. Since we're already so far down this path of entrepreneurship, I figure, you know, we used to do this series on bike rumor and I, it, it's always something I've wanted to reboot, which is how to break into the bike industry. And you would interview people who had started something or found some way to wiggle their way into this industry. So just to close this off, you know, if somebody who's listening to this and they're like, I could start a bike something brand, you know, whatever it is, right? Maybe it's not clothing. Um, what would your advice be to them? Yeah. I mean, I think, I I mean, I would say, I think you can do it. Uh, you know, it just requires a lot of work. Uh, you know, it took, it just took a long time for the behind the scenes stuff to happen for, or not, you know, before it even came to life, uh, and was, and was published in front of other people. And then once it was also live, it was still very much like just my halftime project while I was, still freelancing as a graphic designer. Tyler, I, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, we met the first time at Sea Otter at a party, putting you on the spot here, at a party sponsored Checks by... Checks out so far. <laughs> by, I think, um, 
a guy named Greg Hilson who was running Barfly. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and and I knew Greg from I don't know, bikes somehow, or maybe he I don't know, somehow I knew him and I knew Barfly. And he was like, Oh, I've got this like plan and we've got this house and we do a party and then the media people come and I'm like, and he's like, Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, I want to come. It sounds like you know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah, let's go. I've never been to Sea Otter and I don't know anyone. And um, so, yeah, breaking into the bike industry, that was uh, that was that was that was how we met yeah. uh, at, at first. And obviously it was very memorable. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to do it is just show up. Right. Like literally when I started yeah. Bike Rumor, I started in the summer of 08 and I, you know, I was Think, all right, if I'm going to do this seriously, I need to be an inner bike. And I, so I just literally had no money and booked a ticket. I probably got my parents to buy me a plane ticket to Vegas. Or I know I, for the first few years, I know I used my dad's uh, casino comps for the hotel, which uh, <laughs> was like literally, literally, it was the only way I could do it. And I would be like at the end of the days going around to all the booths. And, and nobody knew me at that time. So I was probably just going to the Chipotle on the strip. But, you know, like for many, many years, it was like you'd, you'd finish the the day kind of like seeing which brands were going out to dinner and who had an extra seat in the car. And yeah. I mean, it's so many stories of like, and not just me. Like, I, I mean, spent some time with chips, Chippendale, who started single tracks UK. And it's, it's all the same stories, right? Like cramming 10 of us into a van to get to a show and cover it. And we're, you know, it's just the things you do to like get a company off the ground. That's behind the scenes that nobody really appreciates when they just see it like, Oh, now you're successful. It's, Everybody's right. got a lot of war stories for sure. Yeah. yeah. The cool thing about it is that I think in general, the, uh, the bike industry, you, you know, there's already this common ground. It's like, Oh, you like bikes. I like bikes too. Like we could talk about work stuff and it's kind of bikes, but we could also just kind of talk about bikes. Yeah. Um, so that there's at least like this icebreaker of like, Oh, like we kind of like the same thing. Yeah. And I, I try and think about that for a lot of under, other industries. And I think that's probably why once you're in the bike industry, you almost never leave the bike industry. It's because like where, I mean, out anything outdoor probably is similar. Yeah. But yeah, like I can't imagine being as excited about, you know, like selling alarm systems or something, right? It's like, <laughs> or roofing, you know, like roofing repairs. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I appreciate the, the stories and the, yeah. 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 Just kind of filling us in on how or not operates. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. It's always fun to kind of chat about it and take a trip down memory lane. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Have a great day. All right. You too. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land, and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.